Once in a great while, mankind unlocks a secret so profound that our future is altered forever. Fire, electricity, splitting the atom. At the dawn of the 31st century, we unlocked another. It had the potential to change humanity's role in the universe. We called it the Titan Project, and it was a testament to the limitless power of the human imagination. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute. I see what's going on here. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, the podcast where uh, we find a movie that one of us has not seen before and we talk about it. Um, this is episode number five and joining me this week we have AJ. Hello. And Christina. Hi. hi. And the movie that we're going to talk about is Titan AE and um, I have never seen this movie before today. So... Um, Interestingly, I hadn't seen it because it's a Don Bluth movie. I had no idea. I love Don Bluth. Like, Secret of Nim is one of my favorite movies ever. I love that as a uh, just a, it's a great animated film, a great film in general. And, you know, I have good memories of uh, An American Tale, um, The Land Before Time, the first one, not the 13 sequels. <laughs> um. You know, you had to wait to number fourteen till it got good again, right? You know, and and he had some some stinkers in there too. They all do, but I don't know how much of that I blame on Don Bluth, and how much of it is just being a uh, making an animated feature film not with Disney. Um, but I liked Don Bluth a lot. I had no idea this was a Don Bluth film until I started watching it today. Yeah. Also, uh, with the screenplay written by uh, Joss Whedon. Yep, he uh, he helped write the screenplay, which I found out at the end of the movie. Um, so I tried because I hadn't seen the movie before, and I hadn't really ever. I don't know. I don't know why it didn't appeal to me. Because you would think this is kind of right up my alley. It's sci-fi. It's animated. It's in space. I mean, this is the third animated movie we've done on this show alone, and I like animated films. And, but it just, I'm not, I'm obviously not the only one that didn't see it because it did horrendously awful at the box office, but, yep. um, unfortunately, yeah. Cause, uh, looking at the box office for it, the movie had an estimated budget of $75 million. Um, it made worldwide 36 million, just under $37 million. That's, that's bad. Um, yep. <laughs> Uh, it fell under the radar of a lot of people. You know, and it's funny because looking at the, the previous Don Bluth movie was Anastasia. That did really well. Uh, it made back its money and more. And interestingly, this was the final film. So after watching it, of course, I did some research. And Fox Animation Studios is who put this out. And Fox wanted, they wanted to have an animation studio uh, to rival Disney for features. 
and it was traditional 2D animation. Now, not all 2D animation, because obviously this movie had a lot of 3D graphics, uh, you know, computer-generated imagery in it, which I'm going to go into a lot more. I have a lot of thoughts on that, but this was the last movie they did, and in fact, Fox Animation Studio closed right before this movie came out. So they they had not done well, and uh, this this movie basically killed a studio, um, which is sad because it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, it, I wouldn't call it great. It's certainly not one of my favorite even Don Bluth movies, but it was decent. I had no complaints about I have I have no major complaints that would make me not ever want to watch it again or more in the time that I spent watching it. I thought that it was it was pretty good. Um, it's in my top 20. Well, it's wow. right up your alley. This I don't oh, yeah. <laughs> I am not surprised to hear that at all to be honest with you. Um, no, I mean, I think it was fine. You know, poor Don Bluth. So, you know, he he started off working for Disney. And he was the animation director for Pete's Dragon. And he did... Uh, but he, and he was an assistant animator uh, for Sleeping Beauty, for The Sword and the Stone, which I love. Um, but then he goes out on his own. He makes the... The Banjo the Woodpile Cat, which is a short film. And then he starts his own production company, does The Secret of Nim, makes Dragon Lair video game. The video game arcade industry collapses and his company goes under. So he starts a new production company, works with uh, Steven Spielberg, makes An American Tale, makes The Land Before Time, um, leaves that to go do All Dogs Go to Heaven, which was another good one of his. Another mm-hmm. company goes under. Uh, I think he ended up something with like three or four different animation companies he got started, and then they went bankrupt one way or another. Huh. It's crazy. Um, including Fox Animation Studios. So it's... <laughs> he... Now, I do... So, Secret of Nim, then he does Dragon's Lair, which uh, is basically just a, a cartoon um, that they had interactive. Um, he does an American Tale, The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Then he hits kind of a rough patch. Rockadoodle was not well liked. Um, I honestly can't remember. I know I've seen that, but I cannot remember it at all. Uh, Thumbelina didn't do very well. A Troll in Central Park did not do very well at all. The Pepper- I don't ever remember hearing about A Troll in Central Park. I mean, the rest I've, I've run across, whether I've seen or not. I, I don't remember the, the the art or even the name a troll in central park which is mildly just amazing yeah. that would have been during my you know late childhood yeah it was 94 um <laughs> that was so having not heard of it but if you if somebody showed you like a, a still frame from it you'd know that's a don blues movie because he's got that style yeah so you yeah. notice that the pebble and the penguin bombed really bad and in fact the pebble and the penguin uh, I was reading about that because that was the last one he did before he went to Fox Animation Studios. It didn't go well. Um, they had production problems. MGM insisted on a bunch of changes. So this was a Metro, uh, you know, an MGM animation film. They made some changes and then took the movie to finish up somewhere else. And Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, who were co-directing and producing it, were so upset by that that they wanted their names taken off the movie. So, 
Then he goes and he does Anastasia. Anastasia does great. Phenomenal film. He did uh, a sequel, the one sequel he's ever done uh, to any of his products. Um, uh, I don't really count. I guess you could say Dragon's Lair he did because he did a second. He did work on a second video game for that. But he did Bartok the Magnificent, which was a sequel, a direct-to-video sequel to Anastasia. Then he does Titan AE. That's it. Hasn't done a feature film since. Which is sad because he has such an amazing visual style. I really love his animation. I know a big part of it is the push to 3D and computer generated, and he's a traditional hand animation guy. I mean, you know, that's what he did his entire life. So it's sometimes hard to, to transition to something different. They did try now. So one of the things I noticed, so I took a bunch of notes while I was watching the movie, and um, uh, I just want to kind of run down some of those and get your take on some of these. So first thing was Don Bluth. How did I miss that? Because uh, it's true. I, I should have been all over this. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds like Ron Perlman, his dad. Yep. Uh, this great voice cast. Um, oh, yeah. The cast was phenomenal. Freaking cast, yeah. I mean, that... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've got uh, you got Matt Damon, um, who in this he was okay. I, I think this was an early voice acting role for him, and he there was times where he felt a little stiff, like he was just reading lines instead of really emoting the character. And maybe that's just me. Um, not, I didn't think he was bad, but I think he could have been better. Mm, I like agreed. I, I have seen better out of Matt Damon, or heard better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got Matt Damon, Bill Pullman, John Leguizamo, Nathan Lane, uh, Janine Garofalo, Drew Barrymore, who I also kind of, I love Drew Barrymore. I don't think she was great in this. Um, Ron Perlman. So that was one of the things. I'm like, that sounds like Ron Perlman. Um, I actually liked that kind of the cold open that they did with everything on the planet. He's a kid, and they didn't spend too much time with him as a little kid, which I was happy for. Um, enough to establish, you know, a relationship with his dad and them getting off the planet. But I, I don't think I would have wanted in the film that to be any longer. Um, no, that was basically perfectly paced. And then, uh, let's see, what was an, oh, uh, <laughs> then I just wrote down, I want that energy saw, that, uh, that energy <laughs> chainsaw. I'm like, I want me one of those. That's cool. Um, <laughs> very late nineties alternative rock soundtrack. Oh, yes, the soundtrack. I love the, the soundtrack. Uh, yes, um, agreed. Perfect. And then uh, I've got a note here. It's just Tone Loke because mm-hmm. Tone Loke, and like he was there for probably, what, four hours, recorded some stuff and said, I'm out. But uh, I love Tone Loke. Uh, also very Don Bluth. Yeah, the animation style immediately. Okay, this was one. So Kale <laughs> sounds like Matt Damon, looks like a young Dennis Quaid. Yeah, I kept not wrong. <laughs> I, I'm like, and you know, normally like a lot of animation, they'll record all the audio, get all the voices, and then oftentimes they will base a character around whoever did the voice for it. They didn't do that in this movie, like at all. I mean, all I could think of the whole time I'm watching it is that it looks like Dennis Quaid in Great Balls of Fire. Um. The Bill Pullman voiced character, Corso, didn't look anything like Bill Pullman. The voice matched okay. 
I didn't think the voice of Drew Barrymore felt like it should be coming out of that character. It didn't. Maybe it's because I know that voice too well. So maybe that's a mental thing for me is I'm picturing the person too much. And I'm not saying you have to make a character look exactly like Matt Damon or exactly like Drew Barrymore. It just, I don't know. Maybe it's it's a little off-putting for you. Yeah, I mean, I, when you're familiar with the voice, you, that's the imagery that your you know your mind pulls up. We net recognize those voices as these actors, and a lot of other films do put that visual similarity in to go ahead and match the character. And, and when it it doesn't, it's a little it's a little off. Yeah, and I think too some of it can be it's a disconnect for me more so when it is a human character. Mm. I mean. I hear Nathan Lane's voice. Obviously, A, I know Nathan Lane. He doesn't look anything like the alien that he was playing. <laughs> but it works because it's Nathan Lane. And he's – that's the other thing too. It's like Nathan Lane, Janine Garofalo, uh, John Leguizamo, they're doing a more more of a cartoony character voice. They're going more over the top with that voice. They're creating a character in the voice and the voice acting. Whereas Drew Barrymore, Matt Damon, Bill Pullman were just – Drew Barrymore, Matt Damon, and Bill Pullman. They weren't they weren't doing voice acting. They were just acting as themselves. So I think maybe that's where that disconnect comes in for me too because when you look at really great voice actors, they will – I mean, okay, the Simpsons voice actors are kind of the gold standard, right? Everybody knows that that show is four or five different people that do it or the, the Futurama cast. All the characters mm-hmm. that like a Billy West plays don't all have to look like Billy West, but he does such diverse voices. He creates a character in that voice and that voice acting. So sometimes in a Hollywood animated movie, you know, a big budget animated movie like this, you cast Matt Damon because you get that name recognition and then you just have Matt Damon. It's not the character of Kale Tucker is kind of what I felt like. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. But uh, I mean, as you were saying, I mean, I felt John Leguizamo nailed Goon. Well, yeah. I can't see Goon as any other voice. Interesting uh, that you say that because one of the bits of trivia that I found kind of cool. Let me see if I can find it here because it was about that. Was where'd it go? Uh, well, okay. So Matthew Broderick was considered for the role of Kale Tucker. Ugh, no, I don't want any more Matthew Broderick. I don't need that. Um. Uh, so I would much rather have Matt Damon playing himself than, than Matthew Broderick in that role. But some of that, too, comes from the discussion two weeks ago about uh, a couple of weeks ago about um, The Lion King, because he was in that. Where is it? Richard Kind was considered for the role of Goon. Now, hmm. it would have been very different than John Leguizamo, but I would have liked it because I love Richard Kind. So I, I wouldn't mind hearing that. Um. Yeah, let's see. Uh, some more. So, you know, I just had that that um, disconnect a little bit with the voice. I, I'm a big fan of voice actors in general, so I like when in, you're doing animation, It's the voice is the character. And it really, I think it lends, if you get a good voice actor doing a great character's voice, it, I think, can enhance the animation. So the animation can can be brought up by that, whereas I just felt I felt a disconnect with the character of Kale, with the character of Corso, and the character of uh, Akima. Is that her name? 
Yeah, Akima. Yep. Um, <sighs> I put in here Lone Star's aged well. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 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 let's see. Um, okay, the more the more I see the dredge, the the more CGI versus hand drawn shows itself. Where you, yep. I liked the mixture of the two, um, and I think it can work well when it's done. There were parts of this movie where it was done really well with a a great three dimensional background, and then your two D hand drawn animation over top of that. When you have three D and uh, computer generated characters and two D characters interacting, you can get a little bit of that uh, clash, and. Granted, the dredge were beings of pure energy, but you started to notice that difference, or at least I did. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, if you watch the um, on the DVD, it had special features that even showed uh, deleted scenes. If you watch those deleted scenes, those uh, 3D scenes were not cleaned up as well as it was for the movie, and you definitely see the difference. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, I, liked, I liked what they were going for. Um, I just... I feel like it was, I don't know, a year too early. Yeah, I can see that. I try to think of anyone else doing that same type of thing at the same time, and I don't think they did any better. I mean, that was no really, you know, the the late '90s going into you know early 2000s was that transition, and this was right there in the middle of the hump. Yeah, I mean, so. they were using the most advanced 3D artwork that there was at the time for this movie, and that's why their budget was so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. And for, and for what they accomplished, I think they they actually did very well with the 3D and getting it to integrate. I know later movies where you have the CGI, you can you know usually with you know actual real actors, you'll really just pick up you know from 2010, like yeah, that looks cartoony and how it's done. Where this with the hand drawn and the three you know computer generated, I thought it meshed fairly well together. Um, it did. I just. Than- yeah, it it no, it did. I'm not I'm not discounting that. I think had this movie been made say 5 years later, it would have been a more cohesive with the 3D and the 2D together. Yeah. Also probably would have been a a significantly smaller budget. Yeah, and it probably would have been all 3D at that point anyway. Um what else did I have? Oh, uh Power Man 5000, very late 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but the the escape was great. Uh, jumping out of the the ship um, when the gl- glass starts cracking, grabbing the um, fire extinguisher to use as a propulsion. I liked yep. that. Uh, yep, and the exhale, and that you can survive in space for a certain amount of time without being hurt as much. Yep. Um, I I wrote down weird smirk, and I think that's because Kale had like this weird. Dennis Quaid's smirk that he kept giving at <laughs> all these random it, all I could I, I can't get over the Dennis Quaid thing he just looks so much like him but he kept using this smirk at all these random seemingly incongruous points like it just didn't make sense and it just drew my attention um, the Janine Garofalo character uh, Stith I just wrote space kangaroo <laughs> yes you're not wrong uh, I still loved her Oh yeah! Oh, she's great. Um, you know, not a big role, but she she nailed it. Um, Nathan Lane is always great because he is. Uh, he's just I liked the design of that ship too. 
And oh, yeah. uh, later on, I referenced it again, again because it made me uh, think of The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, I feel like Damon is a better actor than this. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he, he is. I just, again, felt like he was reading more than acting. At least early on, he got a little bit better as it went on. Voice acting, if you haven't done it, Previously, I've I've seen a lot of interviews with voice actors that talk, and and then actors that transition into voice acting, that talk about how it's not an e- it's you can't just step into a booth and start recording. You know, it takes time to to learn that craft. Um, so I just felt like we could have gotten I, more out of Damon. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what he's done over his career, this was still fairly early. I mean, he'd had some small little parts before, but, you know, from where Goodwill Hunting hit and where that was really kind of his breakout role, it, it was three years, which for some actors perhaps is, you know, enough to, you know, truly blossom into their craft. But, you know, that. Well, and that's release dates, though. He could have very well been doing all the, uh, laying down all the vocal tracks for this movie not too long after Goodwill Hunting. Indeed. So I'm just, you know, it still felt like, you know, kind of kind of a young Matt Damon oh. and I guess I want to cut him a little bit more slack than I would perhaps someone else that has a bit more experience. That's perfectly fair. Like I say, I just my note was just I feel like Damon is better than what he was giving in this movie. Yeah. Um not wrong. <laughs> I had Oh yeah, I remember this. Uh when they get to the planet, um and they land on that moon, and they're they're taking the boat through. And he's like, "Oh yeah, these are the hydrogen trees. So you can't bump into those, and we're gonna turn into whatever." And then immediately cut to the Nathan Lane character shooting a giant gun at this little bug. And I just wrote down, "Yes, shoot the big gun on the planet with explosive trees." I appreciated how that little alien cricket yeah. was making fun of him while it was jumping out of the way. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's uh, kind of like that would be like the modern take of Jiminy Cricket right there. Yeah. Uh, what did I have? I had uh, I wrote down they found them pretty quick on the space pterodactyl planet, because um, I it now am I wrong? Did that seem like the dredge found them way too fast for how far they they kept saying it was? Or they, they, they explain that, how later? Okay. Oh well, yeah. Okay, we'll get to that. That makes. I mean, you have a couple of things when it comes to just the storytelling part where, like, they land over yonder and then have to take boats through these explosive hydrogen trees until they hit yet more rock where the, you know, pterodactyl aliens are. I don't know why they couldn't have landed closer. Agreed. Um, (laughs) Then I had, um... oh, okay. So I didn't really take, I, I remember just kind of really enjoying the um, the whole action sequence on the on the space pterodactyl planet um, with the dredge and, and all that and then they capture Akima and, and Kale um, and then the next thing I had was still a weird smirk because they're in that they're, they're in the um, cell together and then uh, the next thing was when they go to find Akima after she's been jettisoned and they're finding her on like the slave trading place. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I just had putting those big legs to work. <laughs> when, 
when uh, and and this was one of the lines that I did like just because it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but it's Matt, er, not Matt Damon. It's Nathan Lane being a great Nathan Lane, and that was this one. Hmm. An intelligent god didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, it was. I also like the fact that they did have an intelligent guard. In, yeah. in all of the other sci-fi films, it's, you know, like Star Wars, where they're the dumbest creature is the guard. Mm-hmm. And this one is like, well, these are the reasons why this isn't the case. It was like, well, well done. Yes. Yeah, that was, that, through. that was a great uh, expectation subversion. Uh, I liked that. Um, seems awful easy for Kale to get out of that dredge cell. Um, now... Was he supposed to be like a tech savant of some kind or just really good with stuff? Because yes. I don't. Okay. I didn't feel I, like they established that enough. He was. I, he had the engineering knowledge like his father. Uh, basically, how I am with computers, um, but more, probably more advanced. It definitely felt that way. And that's how I was able to connect, is because, yeah, you can figure things out just by playing with it a little I think that if, if you go back to the opening scene you have to recall that he was you know supposed to be what like a 5 to 10 year old somewhere between 5 and 10 yeah. you know playing with an advanced robotics thing that he said he invented that's true. and so that's supposed to go ahead and give you that frame of reference that you know while he's salvaging large pieces of, of metal 15 years later with like some you know laser chainsaw he actually has a brain and he thinks he can think things through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're probably right there. I've maybe just because it was my first viewing, it just felt like, wow, he's figured that out awful quick, but you know, you got to move your story along. Also gives him his attitude. He sees himself better as the other people. Yeah. That's a good point. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so then, you know, of course he gets back to the ship and she's there. They, they find her and all that. And I was just like, well, she warmed up to him awful fast. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, the rump jumping down the stairs into his arms. Yeah. Like, wow, that uh, zero I, to friendly pretty darn quick. Yeah. I said forced romance is forced because it definitely felt <laughs> mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but I did get um, that did give us one of our uh, John Leguizamo lines because um, if you don't know John Leguizamo's voice enough, you're not going to recognize that it's him just because of the way he did the voice and what they did, you know, post-processing to it. But um, this was a total John John Leguizamo thing. This line right here. Oh, the boy is not dead. This is cause for happiness. That's when I realized it was Leguizamo um, in the movie. That, yeah. that one right there sounds the most like him of anything. Uh, let's see. He... Oh, go ahead. I, I, I think he had just so many of the best lines in the movie, too. He did. But that's my opinion. No, <laughs> he, he had some really great lines. I, I think I was – I probably need to watch it again to, to appreciate it a little bit better. I was focused on a couple of other things while I was watching it, and so I appreciated Leguizamo's character, but um, I didn't pay as much attention to him. As I probably would have, because it took me until I, that moment to realize it was even him. I really appreciated the, the the introduction of this character, where he's sitting around talking about this thing he made while he was asleep yeah. the night mm-hmm. before, and he's debating on whether or not to push the button. I just thought that like really ended up 
when you look back from the end of the movie, like that really defines his character right oh, there. Yeah. Just this, this really odd craziness. And I, I had an appreciation for that. Um, I did write down, I think this would have been, and probably would still make a great series. Oh, that there's, would be incredible. Cause there's so much you could expound on. You could have an entire run of episodes uh, leading up to them leaving the planet, if you wanted. You could start that far back. You could have an entire run of episodes. You know, do like a... Oh, like Netflix seasons, you know, Stranger Things type uh, number of episodes. Uh, and just stretch the story a little bit more and, and build that world up some more. Because you had how many different uh, alien races that you saw on screen, and they named like three of them. Um mm-hmm. The thing is, is we kind of got a live action mo- series that was very similar. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong there. That was once I saw Joss Whedon's name, I'm like, I can, I can see where that, you know, that influence in there. Um, I just, I did, I wrote down. I think uh, it's an interesting galaxy. I feel like a movie isn't enough time to explore it, and there's a lot that you could explore in there. Uh, I think that would be really cool. Especially doing an animated series, you know, yeah. make them, make them hour long episodes. You know, that I wouldn't have a problem with that. They don't have to be a half an hour. It's not a kid's thing. In fact, I was really surprised later on yeah. in the movie with, uh, you know, I, yes, it's not a kid's movie by, by any stretch and it's not a Disney movie, but even so, like the way that the Creed character, Nathan Lane's character gets killed was brutal. Like he just gets his neck snapped and that's not something you normally see in an animated movie. Especially one that's PG. Yeah. I was a little surprised looking back at the rating going, huh? That, okay. Yeah. That whole, that moment caught me off guard. I'm like, okay, he's got his snap. Whoa. And just, <laughs> just casually toss his body down the stairs and we keep going. And I'm like, ah, I can imagine being, you know, uh, seven eight nine years old and going to see this great animated movie with stars and in in space and all that and then what like that would have thrown me for a loop back then um but uh let's see oh ship still reminds me of the last starfighter yeah um okay elongated yeah so you know the little uh subtitles where they'd have like you know such and such planet or whatever Mm -hmm. um the sound that they had for when those would fade in and fade out. Did that sound familiar to either of you? Because it sounded familiar to me and I cannot for the life of me place it. I'd have to go back and listen. Like I've heard it somewhere before and I couldn't, I wanted to capture it, but there was no way to capture it without getting the background music. And it was hard to distinguish enough to, but I'm, I want to find out that just sounds like I've heard it in some other sci-fi thing before. And it drove me crazy. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Uh, do, do, do. Oh, so uh, they did the trope, uh, the tro- the tropey trope of um, when they are at the outpost and they're going to go trade. And Kale mm-hmm. and Akima walk into that room and grab supplies to go trade. Did you notice they grabbed, you know, the he grabs the thing of, of liquid. She grabs a bag of groceries that had a loaf of bread sticking out of the groceries. <laughs> Every... Mm-hmm bag of groceries and every movie ever made has a loaf of French bread sticking out of it. Even in this damn animated movie. Like, (laughs) 
I immediately saw that. I'm like, oh, good. Why? That's so silly. Space well, Ghost. It's animated. The, I know. The but... other thing is because everyone recognizes, you know, a piece of bread, and it's one of the few things that can stick out the top. If you have something, you know, try to draw an orange at that level of animation, <laughs> and it just looks like an orange ball. You, you don't know if it's a bag of explosives or, uh, you know. Uh, I know, but it's every movie and TV show ever made in the history of film and television. <laughs> has a bag of groceries that's a brown paper bag with some lettuce and a loaf of French bread sticking out of it. Every single one. Even in space, in a thousand years in the future, and they still have loaves of French bread sticking out of their bag. I think the the bigger issue here should be why is everyone eating the damn baguettes? Because every time I've ever had one, the things are not that great. Well, Cheap and easy to make. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I just I noticed that, and then and then uh, my next note uh, was Lone Star is a dick. Um, yes, that's when we find out about a lot of shit that was going on behind our back. Yeah, so that makes sense how the Dredge found them on the pterodactyl planet, but either that or with uh, the Nathan Lane character. Yeah, but the reason for his neck getting snapped. Here is here is my, I would say, one complaint with the movie. They didn't earn that. They, it, I hate, 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 hate. The, oh, this character's actually a bad guy, and we didn't really tell you that at all, and, at, and make no indication of it whatsoever. We're just going to flip it on you. They did it in... That was one of the things, one of the many things, but one of the things I really don't like about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is, you know, the the character that is a good guy, then he's a bad guy, then he's a good guy, then he's a bad guy. Like, but this, the, they didn't earn that. They didn't, they didn't do anything. Like everything about Bill Pullman's character is, he's looking out for him. He he was a friend of his dad's. He's coming to help him. And then, oh, but he's actually working with the bad guys. And I know why they did it. I know why. It's well, because you, can... you have to have a human antagonist. Yes, and you can. You, it, it actually gives you little hints if you watch his face at certain aspects and scenes where they do a close-up of his face with what Kale does. Yes. Next time you watch, pay attention, because they do give that. I can, I can see that. I just, it's a... It's tired. It's a tired plot device, and I yes, don't like I it. I agree. And it immediately upset me because I'm like, "Oh, do you have to do that? No, don't. Why? You know." I I think that's a it's a couple fold. I mean, there certainly were some very subtle references to it earlier in the film, such as we talked about Preed and Nathan Lane's character when they set out on that pterodactyl planet shooting. You know, so if you think back he had no thought of being of actually having to do anything because he knew that they were in league with, you know, the big bads. So he felt comfortable not actually paying attention to what was going around him. Someone who was actually being chased by bad guys might not actually have that cavalier of an attitude. I think there's also the issue that they were try it looks like they were trying to do something non Disney, non traditional animation in the storytelling, but they still probably because of budget kept themselves to this, you know, nineties era 
runtime of 94 minutes. And if you take into consideration how long the credits were, it's probably a little bit less. So there wasn't, you know, the extra 30 minutes to go ahead and, and really build out the backstory and establish the characters, which I think goes back to what you're saying with the series. It would have been a lot better if it was more than just here's a bad guy blowing up Earth and now there's the bad guy following the kid. Yeah, I... I just I don't like the the it probably wouldn't have bothered me as much if it hadn't been a character that knew his father that they you know they give you basically nothing in the cold open about him just he's the guy driving the the truck that yeah. takes him takes mm-hmm. him away but they give you the reason that he did it was oh the human race is at its last legs and I basically I want money and it's so thin and it's not it the if it had yes, been something it, where, you know, they gave you something in the beginning of the movie that maybe he and the father didn't see eye to eye and and all that. But it was just like, I worked with your dad. Yes, they had. Okay, I will, I will, I will agree with you that I probably would notice if I watched it again where they were tipping their hand a little bit. But I still, even with that... I still don't feel like they earned that plot twist. And, I can agree. Fair enough. Yeah, and you already had an antagonist. The The Dredge were fine. They were a great antagonist. You could have them, instead of capturing Kale to get the map, they capture the girl and use her, try to turn her, something. I, there's there's a thousand different ways you could go with that, and you're, and you're well-established, already antagonist thing without having to make a human character also an antagonist. Even if you had just had to be the Nathan Lane character and that twist where he's selling them out, I would have liked that better. It would have it would have still been a bit tropey, but it wouldn't have because then twenty minutes later or ten minutes later, whenever it is, they try to and I have this written down here, you know, they didn't earn the twist they don't earn the redemption when he's like, you can let go. I wouldn't blame you. And I'm not going to let go of you. Like you didn't earn that oh. either. A hundred percent. You question like this guy just tried to kill you and, and take everything that you thought you were fighting for, for the last day and a half and <laughs> to, to save the human race. And he's going to fall to his death and you save him. You kind of scratch your head going like, why didn't you just let him fall? Like that you should have, that, that would, be the appropriate thing this is this is not you know the hang on this is the hans gruber moment like you know you pushed him off the building yeah. you should see him fall down and scream i, yeah. I get what you're saying yes so, but it was supposed to be the hero moment yeah that's uh, i guess it's i would argue as tropey yes i agree <laughs> <laughs> and like i said i it's not that i didn't like the movie i just do not like that that part of it, that part bothered yeah, me a lot. I think that's many tropes that they should should have stayed away from. I agree. I think that's probably one of the biggest complaints of this film is some of the some of the keys of the story. You know, not that like the animation was bad, not that you know the the voice acting was bad. No, honestly, it, altogether okay. it was it was a good you know it was a solidly done production. I think. You know, what I think of and what I've I read a few uh, reviews about was that just like, you know, it'd be like trying to fit all three Star Wars films 
the, the original ones into like, you know, a two, two hour block, the amount you would have to cut wouldn't give you the backstory to be invested. And yeah. that's really what you're getting here is you're getting like what should have been this enormous, like, just epic story and they had to cut so much that it really you know it feels like the hundred page version of the iliad or something <laughs> yeah i mean it's basically taking the phantom menace squeezing it into like 10 <laughs> minutes and then the rest the 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 original trilogy and squeezing it into 80 minutes yeah i would have been okay with that if if we could have skipped out on jar jar binks fair enough <laughs> yes i agree um you're right, though. I think, okay, so if I were making this movie, A, I don't have Corso turn on him. Uh, yeah. I, I have, if you want Preed to be your mole, fine. That's fine. Um, or, or you have Corso do it, but you give more reason to it. You, you, you take your time building that up, and that's where a series obviously could do that better because you could have, over time, start to give these reasons as to why Corso would do, would be feeling that way. Yeah. Backstory. Um, but you know, to have Corso turn on him and then to have, and Preed is, is with him. And then all of a sudden Preed turns on him like that also felt kind of cheesy, but, um, it's the doubles backstab. Yeah. It's a, it's what double secret probation. Um, <laughs> I did like that. They had a shipbuilding montage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and rebuilding, they, they rebuilt that whole ship and apparently did it in like an hour and everyone pitched in because of yeah. the cause mm-hmm. right everybody uh, the whole colony pitches in they rebuilt that ship in an hour and a half in plenty of time to beat them to that nebula that they were already on their way to um and then i, I wrote down when they took off and they roasted the colony <laughs> <laughs> I will say, actually, what, some of the best animation I think I've ever seen was during that ice field. Oh, just I, the, the complexity, yeah. and it was uh, that looks like something they would try today and still not get as well done. No, I, I mean there, there's graphics engines that try to get that level of complexity and intricacy and fail. Yep. So I was blown I absolutely. away. One hundred percent. The entire several minutes. They just... had a very similar scene in one of the Star Trek television series, and I can't remember exactly which one. It was either from uh, Generation or not Generation, but uh, Next Generation Voyager. or from Voyager. It yeah, was, it was, it was Voyager. Was, I think season one, where they were in the thing that reflected everything. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, and and I get like the the, you know, what you're saying with the reflections. At the same time, I still think the animation hands down beat the graphics that they did even in Voyager, which had a, you know, a decent budget itself. So it's like, I, and that, I believe it looked like it was almost all hand done, or at least the, the important parts were. So yeah, that's what was just like mind blowing was that to see all of these different things moving at the same time and going around, you know, refracting. And you're just like, that's, that all looks hand drawn. That is amazing. Yeah, that you... was brilliant. <laughs> I I made I wrote down notes about how much I like that because um, that was great. I did also. I'm sorry, but uh, he uh, Corso had a line right before that that uh, oh they're coming we're gonna run silent. I was like run silent what in space? What the hell does that mean? That threw me off. But no, I loved the reflection stuff. The mirror that mirror effect that was awesome. You know, that's a testament to Don Bluth, though. I love, I like his animation a lot. 
Um, let's see. Uh, didn't earn the twist, didn't earn the redemption. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love how they killed the energy beings with the feedback loop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I like that at the same time. It, it kind of draws into, in, for me, it draws into this whole thing of like, we're, we're telling a 10-hour story in 90 minutes. Yeah. And so we, you know, we kill them very quickly. And it's like, if, if, if they were that easy to kill, why didn't someone do that, yeah. you know, thousand years before? Well, if their energy, let's just use the bad guy to power our systems. Well, they didn't have, but they didn't have the Titan. Right. Then. Which was the it. whole reason why the Dread were going after them. They don't explain it very well in no, the in the movie. They didn't. Um, but uh, the whole reason the Dread is after it is because that is the only thing that can actually hurt them. Because yeah. well, I, okay, and my understanding of like what they explained about the the Titan was that its core was to you know to create a new planet, and so yeah. I guess but from the that energy standpoint... that's used to do it hurts them. So okay. they were trying to stop anybody from being able to use it, which is yeah. why their whole thing of wanting to destroy it. Oh, that, that was, was really, that wasn't explained at all. Like, no, that, well, no, no it, was, it, it was, it, it was a little bit. I got that from the beginning of it. Oh, I, I really, I've seen it a few times and I did not pick up that it had to do with the energy. I thought it was just an issue of the humans are bad and expanding, but I mean, cause even they had to go ahead and, you know, theoretically make changes to use the other energy source, which of course, well, yeah, I guess it was like, you know, throw a breaker. Okay. Um, <laughs> three gonna... of them and one of them failed. Of course. And, and, which, was fix, which was fixable by putting a small energy weapon to arc. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. We need to fix this by shorting it. The, the physics on that was a little rough, but um, yeah, there's a little hand yeah, waving I... going on. <laughs> <laughs> don't look over here just this works trust us it's just yeah. metal connecting it's just gonna work and then it builds a planet does it build a sun was there a star Shh. there Shh. we don't ask these questions oh, okay sorry because that yes, kind of do not me. worry about planet bob <laughs> and as they're able to see each other i've got to assume there was some light source well, yeah, they showed like a star in the background, but I don't remember there being a star in anywhere near this giant ice nebula. So that's why I was confused by that. And then my last my last note um, while watching the movie was the colonists all showed up at the new Earth before it had even cooled off. Now, there was probably time passes that they, they didn't show there, but it just seems like, wow, the, the planet's barely got it's still got that new planet smell and you guys are all here already. Yeah, well, that it was, was just the hipster so. colonists. Oh, okay. You know they're there before it's cool. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm pissed. I'll allow it. <laughs> That's your one for this week. <laughs> um, no, I wrote. I you know, uh, wrap up notes where it was good. I didn't think it was great, uh, but I thought it was good. Um, it's not my favorite Don Bluth movie. Yeah. Um, I think it was. You know, about five minutes ahead of its time, mixing the 2D and 3D animation, and um, it there were just moments where it felt clunky. But you know, overall, I think they did a really good job with that. Um, I, they definitely didn't need that romance in there at all. That just felt so no. forced. There was no. That's something again that you. That's where it's the you know it feels like we're reading the abridged novel. 
Yep. Like yeah, that were... felt that felt like some executive like used to work at Disney and went, Well, all the other things have a romance, so you need to go ahead and add a romance, even though the movie was like, you know, seventy percent done. Like, son of a Yeah. Okay. Basically. Well we'll add something. I I agree. Um no, I like I say, overall, liked the movie. Don't know how I didn't see it in 2000 when it came out, because you would think... I mean, last week we talked about The Emperor's New Groove came <laughs> out the same year or a year later that I saw in the theater three times. <laughs> and Well, maybe that's why you didn't see this one. Oh. Fair, that Touché. could be. Touche. You know, it was just one of those that it slipped past me somehow, and uh, I wish I had seen it back then. I would totally watch Titan AE the series. Oh, yeah. Um, let's let's get on that and make that happen. But uh, you know, it hit, was hit, hit Hollywood. You like to do remakes? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, it's been 19 years. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, this did have opening narration in it, which wasn't too bad. Because um, partly because it's Ron Perlman, and <laughs> you know, I listened to him read a phone book. What are we going to do when he's gone? Oh, cry. Don't even bring that up. Um, no, I think uh, I think overall um, it was a good movie. Uh, I just, you know, if they hadn't pulled the, the switch with Corso, I think I would have liked it a lot more. That just really took me out of things and really bugged me. Um, I... I that's going to be a tough Definitely one for me to get over. <laughs> I mean, again, for me, the the one that stole the show was Goon, um, especially when he finished his nap. Yes, that was <laughs> great. That was that was a nice trope subversion where you know he, oh, I need a nap, and you you think he's done, and they've killed off other characters already during the movie, so there's no reason for me not to think he's not dead, dead. Yeah. And then he shows back up out of nowhere. Hey, my nap is done. Like that, <laughs> that is a perfect bookend for his character where of like his characterization. He starts off with the, I built this thing and it has a button and I don't know what it does. And I want to press the button, <laughs> but I don't know what will happen to I'm fine. I finished my nap. Like just goon Who's is off. In, goon is off in his own little world. He's in, he's in goon land <laughs> and loving for it. Uh, you know, great, great cast. Um, I probably, if I were remaking it or making it, a, you know, in the first place, probably don't go with uh, a Matt Damon or a Bill Pullman just because they. See, I'm going to disagree with you on Pullman. I would go with Pullman again. I would, I agree with you on like Barrymore and with Damon, I, I guess the thing is like when there was the sharp tongue, couple of sharp tongue moments by by Pullman's character, I thought that was just like exactly like him in every other movie I've seen where he's like screaming or yelling at people or being stern. I was like that really just it, it hit right, it hit the mark. Okay, Other yeah. areas may not have, but I just I felt that it came into line a couple of sp- spots like just perfectly. I, I guess for me it was just because the first half of the movie, I'm all I'm hearing is Lone Star, but like a serious <laughs> Lone Star, and then he became a total dick cheese, and it just <laughs> I just I didn't like that at all. Um, yeah. no, I think I mean, you could get oh go ahead star you know the for for the lead roles some of the other lead roles I think you're right you could easily get 
better. Again, um, again, Matt Damon, Drew Barrymore were were fine. They they did yeah. not do a bad job. They're both good actors. I'm not just I'm not suggesting otherwise. I just think there could have been a better fit. You know, yes. there could have been other individuals who would have fit the part better and made mm-hmm. a you know a better film overall. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, did you know Jim Brewer was the voice of the cook? Mm-hmm. I did not. Okay, let me rephrase that. When you saw the movie at first, did you know Jim Brewer was the voice of the cook, Christina? No. Just from the credits. Okay. <laughs> so, because, you know, they they did a lot to his voice. Um, Jim Cummings also had a short, a small role in this, because if it's an animated thing, you're either going to have Frank Welker or Jim Cummings or both of them in it. <laughs> it is a uh, contractual thing in Hollywood, I'm pretty sure. You can't animate something and not call one of the two of them and have them do a voice. Um, that was another one, though. Did Jim Brewer, the cook character, got killed off in kind of a brutal way? They just sort of liquefied him. Zap. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking during that whole scene, like, he's going to end up in the shoot with them and, like, he's going to be the comedy relief for the rest of the movie, which <sighs> I like Jim Brewer. But if that character had been in the movie more, I probably would have poked my ears out. Like, <laughs> jabbed a pencil in my ears. Ketchup! Yeah. Ketchup! I, I, you humans in your ketchup! Yeah. It, funny, while it's in the movie, uh, for the amount of time that it was, I couldn't have done more. I could not have. I, I, I don't think I could have made it. <laughs> um, yeah. No, overall, liked it. Uh, it was good. It's good stuff. Um, obviously, like I say, I wrote quite a few notes down. Um which was good. I helps it helps me to get into the movie a little bit more. I think to think about it, especially something I've never seen before. You know, when we're doing the in this show, a lot of these movies I've seen. Yeah, and so this was a nice switch up for me to to be the one that hasn't seen the movie and get to see it with fresh eyes. Like I think this definitely felt like a product of its time. You know, it was late 90s when it was produced and the music was fine i have no problem with that because that was that was my jam back then was that kind of stuff lit and power man 5000 and jamiroquai like i listened to all of that i still do sometimes yeah (laughs) no i do too um i definitely you know after seeing the movie can tell that joss whedon had a hand in it um but i had no idea that this was something that he had worked on um, yeah, I mean, this is one that uh, he had, I think he had done the original script, and then the, the other people went through and altered it, you know, kind of like they did for a lot of Joss Whedon's movies, <laughs> or stuff that he had his hand, hands in, like Alien Resurrection, and mm. uh, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Buffy, the original Buffy movie. Yeah, the, It was his original stuff, and then somebody else messes with it. Uh, and then the, uh, the original music... Let me see if I can find it here. Um, was uh, stunts, animation? Come on, really? Casting, costume, music department. Uh, where is he? Music was Graham Ravel. Um, and oh, let's see if I can find. Look at it this way. But uh, Graham Ravel, which is a name that I, I know, and for the life of me, I can't. 
pin another sound, you know, another score. Uh, okay. Do, 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 child's play two. Another great movie. Hard target. Um, oh, wow. Oh, okay. The Crow. He did the original music ah. in The Crow. Um, Street Fighter. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. You know, and, and again, this is the, you know, the score. This is the original music stuff. Like Tank Girl, he did the 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 score for, but that had a lot of licensed music in it as well. Um, oh, From Dusk Till Dawn, Strange Days, uh, The Craft, um, the sequel to The Crow, The Saint, um, Spawn. So he did a lot in the 90s. Yeah, he, he was. He almost feels like he was kind of the guy when, oh, we can't get Howard Shore or John Williams. Well, Graham Ravel, I mean, he's good. <laughs> you know, sure, oh, we'll get. It's, it's the negotiator. We we offered it to John Williams. He said no. You know, Graham Ravel was he was done with all I want to do and hadn't started working on Lulu on the Bridge yet. So yeah, get him <laughs> in here. Yeah, I mean, there's in the trivia it says that the uh, score was originally supposed to be composed by Harry Gregson Williams, but was turned down. Then it was offered to Hans Zimmer. It was turned down. John Powell turned it down, Ouch. and eventually ended up in his. Not bad. Hey, Graham, how do you feel being the fourth choice to do Titan AE soundtrack? <laughs> he did th this dude. Now, some of this is, be uh, I think, because he does scores for a lot of movies that use a good amount of licensed music too but holy crap does he do like he pumps them out i mean 97 alone he did four movies the saint spawn chinese box and suicide kings the next year he just 98 was the big hit phoenix all i want to do the negotiator lulu on the bridge bride of chucky the siege like jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh he did oh oh nope he he originally did the score for the 13th warrior and then it was rejected ouch well that movie's production i'm yeah. uh, we're gonna do that on the show at some point because i know there's a lot of people that haven't seen that i'll find somebody but that movie's production alone is worth talking about um oh okay cool he did the music for pitch black yeah so he's done some good nice some good stuff um the the original or the the matt not Matt Damon, the Ben Affleck Daredevil he did the movie for, okay. uh, the Fog remake. So, yeah, no, he's he's fine. I liked the original music in it quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, this, the soundtrack for Titan AE was tremendous. It, it's definitely high up there on my list. Yeah, no, I would, uh, I would listen to that. I remember that the – I remember the soundtrack – much more than I remembered the movie coming out because it had, um, there was a lot of radio play, I think for the lit song that was on the soundtrack and power man 5,000, uh, was one that I listened to a lot, especially late nineties. So, well, yeah, I mean the, the trailer for it, even though it didn't end up in the movie, uh, used higher from Creed. Well, you know, I guess, We'll, we won't hold that against them. Aww. Hey, at least it wasn't Nickelback. Uh, yeah. yeah, Creed. Creed had... My my personal thoughts on Creed are very similar to my personal thoughts on um, Nickelback, which is they had a song that I really liked, and then everything that came out after that got progressively worse. 
Well, Creed is really just Nickelback light. Yeah, the, well, they were like... Ouch! Creed was like pre-Nickelback. Nickelback. That doesn't matter. They're still, in my mind, Creed is Nickelback light. I, I just... That is where I put them. Uh, you know, they both have one or two songs that are, you know, bearable or even decent, and everything else is just like, uh... Yeah. Agreed. That's just pers- personal, you know, opinion. I, I other people like them, and that's fine. Um, but, yeah, just... So, did you guys know that there was a uh, video? There was going to be a video game for this movie. Wow! Mm-hmm. I uh, I saw it in the credits where they're like, "Oh, check out you know the video game coming out later this year or something." And so I had to research that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, because of yeah, I don't the... remember that at all. And uh, yeah. no one does. It got canceled because of the the horrible uh, turnout for the movie. Yeah, they're like, "Ooh, we're going to make a video game for this," and then the movie opened and no one went and saw it, and they're like. Never mind. Never mind. No one wants to play this game. So there was a series of novels that was released as well as comic books. I kind of want to find those. I would love to read the comic. I I personally would, as you guys were talking about, I would love to see someone pick this back up and, and run with it in a different format, you know, a Netflix mini series in that, you know, like a 10 to 13 episode, you know, and, well, show animated show or something. It feels like there's a great story to tell here. They just didn't get that through in yeah, their first and, attempt. And it's because they were smart and they set it a thousand years in the future. So that you can't you're not gonna run into the oh well we might be here, you know, in if they set it like fifty years in the future. Like that's what makes Star Trek work. That's what made uh that's one of the things I really liked about uh Firefly was it was, you know, 500 years in the future. Like, put something that's far enough out there that there's no way anybody that's alive today is going to make it to that point. And then you've got just a clean slate to do whatever you want. And you make that in, take that and make it a series. And I think, I think Christina's allusion earlier to we saw some of this in a live action series is probably right. I'm sure there was a lot of what Joss Whedon kind of was trying to get across in this script in Firefly. I think mm-hmm. I think without Titan AE we don't have Firefly the way that it was. So, you know, there's that. But I would I I'm with you AJ. I would love to see a series of this. Even a, you know, 10 episodes at a time type of series. 6 to 10 episodes and just stretch it out a little bit and give us give us more of this world because I think the world is really cool. They had a lot of different planets and they had and if you do it animated like that, you've just got carte blanche to do whatever you want and have all sorts well, of fun with it. The other thing is that, you know, if, if – so one of the things you can run across in various anime studios is that they will have a story to tell and they will tell the story and that is it. You know, it will be 13 episodes and that's the entire thing or 26. They don't have a, a need to just go ahead and, and – keep going and making for the point of making and selling. Mm -hmm. They tell the story, they do a great job and that's it. And it feels like this would be a perfect, you know, to this would go very well in that to, to tell the story and not need to drag it out to just go ahead and tell that great story that there is to tell and go from there. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I mean, look at what they're doing with stranger things. I keep bringing that up, but I think part of that's because the new season's coming out soon. Yeah. But they've talked about they're going to do this season, and then they're going to do like a two-hour movie, basically. 
and that's yep. going to be it. And you know what? I'm happy. That'll for be that. right. I yeah. like that. Yes. Do, would I? Would I consume more of it if they kept making Stranger Things episodes? Sure. Absolutely, because so far it's been good. But 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 all stories have an arc, and they have a beginning and an end. <clears throat> don't drag it out and be you know don't. As much as I love the series and have watched a lot of like NCIS or CSI, I really liked those those procedurals. They're they're fun, kind of turn your brain off, just enjoy the procedural. But NCIS is still on the air, and that debuted in like two thousand two, I think it was, mm-hmm. or something like that. You, there's only so many stories you can tell before you just start recycling old stuff, or you just you lose your legs and you have to change your entire cast, like they've done three times yeah or four or five yeah so um you know yeah. you see the same thing with like er i mean i remember watching er when it first came on and this is going back a little further and you know then it finally went off the air and i didn't even realize it was still on and i i know one person who was still watching it at that point and then you go ahead and have better things that don't that have better ratings and, and get canceled because they're in their first and second year and it's just mind-boggling well, um, but that's more of a, a politics. Yeah, that's situation. more. Yeah, that's more of like how TV but, is produced, type of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I think though, as you're saying, this would be this would be really nice to see someone pick up and run with. And I, for all of the problems that are going to occur over the next few years with the popping up of every different. Uh, studio slash streaming service because they're all go you know they all figured out that you have to make your own content to sell your own service and all of a sudden we each have forty five different things we have to pay ten bucks a month for now yeah uh, but at least you know there is the possibility that there's other studios that could say hey let's pick this up let's give this a try. Um, you know, Netflix has done some similar stuff where they've been willing to just take some really oddball shots at stuff and go, Hey, let's give it a season, see what happens. Yeah. And they've had some real horrors and they've had a few things that have been great. I would just, I guess I'd love to see a little bit more of that dice rolling, uh, when it came and something like this might then actually get picked up for, you know, the entire season and created and given the, the budget it would deserve. Well, and I think that's another another great thing that we have right now. And we're, we're kind of in that we're, we're sort of in a golden age of television and I'm using air quotes for television because right now what we've got is we have a Netflix or a Hulu or these streaming services that want to create individual, they want to create original content in order to give a reason for you to buy their service. They are willing to, instead of, uh, a network or even a cable network saying, well, we've got a pilot and we're going to test that pilot and it didn't test well or it tested okay. So yes, let's make the series and then canceling it after three episodes because it doesn't doesn't do well. These streaming services are willing to take a more of a chance and say, look, let's try this. Let's see how it does. We're going to make a season of it. You get mm-hmm. a whole season. You get to tell a story. Uh, a perfect example of a show that didn't get to do that was that I enjoyed. Now, I know people saw it and liked it, but not enough people saw it. It was Constantine on NBC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a well-produced thing, but it didn't get to tell its whole story. Now, thankfully, the CW brought the character back. We're able to bring him into other shows. 
But just think how that would have done if it had started out on cable or if it had started out on Netflix or Hulu and they got to do a full run and tell that whole story arc that they got chopped in half. You know, that kind of stuff. That's that's what I'm liking that we're seeing now that we're getting are these shows. Even And you know what? If they bomb and they never make more than the one season, I'm fine with that. They're at least getting a shot to do it. And for the people that are making them, that's great. And for us as consumers of media, it's wonderful because we have so much going on out there. There's shows that have no business being any good like The Orville that from all I hear is amazing. It is. Oh, me, oh I love it. I I look forward to seeing that as much as I And we, Yeah, and let's face it. That show has no business being any good. It really doesn't, but it it's it's well done. We're just we're in a great moment for episodic uh entertainment. Um Yeah, I think the other benefit is that because there aren't time slots to fill for some of these these firms, they don't have to worry about what they're fighting. You know, Netflix doesn't have to say, I need something to fill my Thursday at 8 p.m. slot to fight other things. They just need to have something that is good enough that people will watch it. So yeah. in some ways, the bar is actually a little bit lower because you're aiming typically at like a binge. You want something that is good enough to keep people watching it over like the week. And then, you know, be able to pick back up a year from now and watch like a season two. But they also don't seem to beat a dead horse because, um, you know, even some of the, you know, let's say something like Fuller House, they thought prior to all the stuff in the news, they'd already announced that it was only going to have five seasons. And they were just that was it. They're calling it good. They weren't going to drag it on and drag it on and drag it on to see how much money they could make out of it. They did they five just, seasons of that. Uh, the fifth season has yet to drop, oh. if I recall. But still, like that is about the longest that they've done anything. And I mean, and that was a reboot. So um, House just, of Cards had how many seasons before they basically canceled that because of the whole Kevin Spacey thing? More or less. I think so. Four. Okay. Orange is the New Blacks had a few, but I get what you're saying. It, it, it they, does make they're sense. less. I've not seen them do it as much, and I'm sure that someone could go online and say, "Hey, here are 15 examples of where you're wrong." Okay, um, and and I'm probably I saw something come up through one of the chat channels, probably telling me I'm wrong. But uh, it, it's just one of those where it's like I, I guess I see enough new stuff on for one or two seasons that seems like it told a story, even if it had a cliffhanger, where I don't feel let down. I don't feel like it's you know what August September every year when all the studios go, we're going to have eight new shows. And you're like, I'll give a couple a shot. And then like, it's gone after three episodes. You're like, wow, I, I, I guess I shouldn't have bothered to get even that invested, which just perpetuates not wanting to see new stuff from these venues. Yeah. That's so. always hard. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Netflix really steers into it. And it's kind of a double edged sword of the binging where they make shows that are highly bingeable. I mean, I can sit down and I can watch, uh, a, you know, Stranger Things and just bang them out. Um, or uh, I did it with Daredevil. Um, I couldn't do it with Jessica Jones, but that was... Oh, that one's a little emotional. That, yeah, that was emotionally yeah. draining. <laughs> Jessica Jones is deep and hard. I was like, that's, that's okay, a rough one. two episodes, I'm tapping out, I'm going to go watch some <laughs> puppy videos for a while and reset myself. But they make very bingeable shows, which is great. But at the same time, they've either got to continue making bingeable shows or hope that whatever else they can have in their catalog is enough to keep people around to wait for the next season of that bingeable show. And You're not wrong. And obviously it's working for them right now. 
because they were making all sorts of money and they they did a brilliant thing years ago where they just tried to get their platform out everywhere that had a screen. Yeah. And but, they accomplished uh, it. It's, uh, you know, Netflix is ubiquitous. The it, biggest complaint is people saying, well, up here in Canada, we get this and we, we don't get that. And in Australia, we get this and we don't get that. But yeah, again, whole, whole thing on politics and uh, licensing agreements and, um, you know, yeah. not necessarily their, their created stuff, but just, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see what some of the newcomers uh, actually bring uh, bring out in this next year. I know that uh, Apple and a few other folks in Disney, and you know, they're all trying to to get into the market too. So, well, if any of them are listening, <laughs> any of you are listening, Titan AE, I'm just saying, let's yeah. let's make that happen because I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, I and I'd really love to see it be with one of the the studios that has the leeway to kind of do they'd like i i always come back to uh was it the chronicles of shinar shinaria oh, oh yeah. Yeah. shinara uh and like mtv tried to get in on what like game of thrones and everyone else was doing <laughs> and uh they just I, I saw three episodes i wasn't intimately familiar with the the series i had a general idea of you know oh it's good here's the long story ah. and and it just seemed like they managed to gut it uh whether that was because they didn't put you know enough energy towards it uh they you know were trying to meet whatever guidelines they currently had and it's just like when i see that happen it just it makes me sad so you know it's someone picking up something like titan ae i'd really like to see it picked up by the right studio that can give it that leeway to really tell the story without trying to um disney fi you know in the modern sense well you and know, that's like the thing so puppy what's... dogs and rainbow shit it's yeah well what's great about something like titan ae as a property to pick up though is that there isn't a back catalog of a whole bunch of stuff like there was for the chronicles of shannara or doing a lord of the Rings series like amazon is working on or any of that where you have all of this backstory that you're trying to then adapt this is there was the movie and there was a couple of books written and that's it and no, I mean, it, you could go to ten people on the street right now and say, "Did you know there's a Titan AE novel?" And they're going to be like, "What's Titan AE?" <laughs> yeah. So you've got so much leeway and so much that you can do with that that I think it would be it would just it would make a great series. I want I want to see it happen, and I want to watch that. Um, and then I have one okay. other thing I want to say real quick, and that is, no, I'm not asking that much. I just, I just like them to kill my food before they serve it to me. <laughs> yep, goes along yeah. with the ketchup comment. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you guys for for doing the show this week. Uh, I that was a fun, um, a fun discussion, and uh, I I enjoyed myself. Uh, it was great it's to finally see that movie. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, On the closing note, anybody else hear a crackling sound? <laughs> <laughs> that was great because that I'm like, oh, well, of course he's obviously hearing something no one else can because he's blind. And then, yeah, like, what is it, 30 seconds later, you hear a crackling sound? <laughs> no, that was and good. And gravity drive. Yes. Well, again, thank you. Um, coming up, I know we have um, – we're, we're going to be doing fairly soon, I'm pretty sure, is uh, Hot Fuzz. Um, and the world's end. Uh, I'm still working on finding somebody who hasn't seen uh, Shaun of the Dead. It seems like that's a toughie. 
That is. Well, I thought Hot Fuzz was going to be a tough one too with my circle of friends, but uh, we we have somebody who hasn't seen that. Uh, World, World's End, I get that one was a little lesser known, but I wanted I'd like to do all three in the Cornetto trilogy if I can, but mm-hmm. we may we may end up just doing the two of them. Uh, but those are coming up. Uh, so um, you know we're we're always uh, it, you know if anybody listening has ideas, you can um, go onto the website tvstravis.com, uh, go to the comment section of an episode, and give us some movies that you think you might want to see, and we'll see if. You know, if we can find somebody who hasn't seen that movie, um, that is where you can go to find the podcast is TV's Travis, TVS Travis dot com. On there, there's a button for subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that's the home for wait. You haven't seen. Um, it's also an Apple, um, Apple podcast, Google podcasts. Uh, I know earlier today we were looking in podcast addict and it's if you search for it in there, you can find it. Um, so it's out there. Find it, download it. That's where you can listen to us ramble on about whatever damn movie one of us hasn't seen for some unknown reason. Um, but yeah, uh, coming up will be probably next week. I'm I'm thinking I'm leaning towards Hot Fuzz unless something else comes up. Uh, but uh, until next time, AJ. Thank you. See everyone later. And Christina, thank you as well. Yep. Take care and enjoy your movies. All right. This has been Wait, You Haven't Seen? There's nothing more tiresome than last-minute heroics.